you guys can have a seat. Man, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. And like I said earlier, I know that it can be a tender day for some as well. Um, and I recognize that. And so we just, we really wanted to just strip down this worship set this morning and just really allow God to do the things that he wanted to do. And man, isn't it beautiful sometimes just the simplicity and just the beauty of it? I mean, do you guys agree just to like strip it down and really rest in the presence of God? I love it. I don't know about you guys, but I love it. So whatever, you guys can do your thing, but... No, but so glad you guys are here. As it was mentioned, we, it was brought to our attention. This is probably more of an announcement for you guys. If you guys took one of these flowers last Sunday, which I told you to do, which you should have done, and I hope you enjoyed them, we just found out that the pewter and the ceramic vase was supposed to be returned to its owner, which we did not know. So if you can bring that back next week, that would be amazing. If not, I don't know what to tell them, but they'll miss it. But anyway, man, just so happy you guys are here. Happy Mother's Day. And... I don't know about you, but if you look around this culture, there are thousands of different standards that we put. I mean, even in church, you can see this standard. Sometimes the standard is like, man, we got to do more and more and more, and we got to have more stuff to bring in more people, and the standards keep raising and raising and raising. Sometimes it's just beautiful just to, like, rest in the simplicity of things. But I know in my life, there are standards, whether it's in my family or personal standards. You may have a standard in your business uh, in your family, maybe it's in politics and churches, uh, self-expectation, whatever it is, there are many standards in today's culture. I was talking with Caroline, and just to let you know, I put all these past her last night before I went to sleep because I didn't want to, like, say something that was not true, but we have different standards. I'm a perfectionist, mild maybe, nah, maybe, maybe a little more than mild, but I am kind of a perfectionist, and so like when it comes to ironing clothes, I want all the wrinkles out of the clothes. If I have Caroline do it, she's like, ah, it's fine. It, I mean, you can't really see any wrinkles. It's fine. She's a little less of a perfectionist in that. Uh, we did a kitchen remodel in our home in Fort Worth when I was still in seminary, and I put concrete countertops in the kitchen, and I built up these like false cabinets, and there were some trim pieces on it, and one of them was like just a little bit angled, and every time I walked in the house, it was already painted, I just my, like my eye drew to it, and I couldn't avoid it. In fact, I drive by, Hoagie actually texted me between service, this was not a knock on anyone, but I said, I drive by the church offices, and I noticed like the sign is like kind of angled, and it just like bugs me. I'm like, we need to get that thing <laughs> fixed, because every time I drive by, it's not right. Right, so whatever it may be, or I like, I have to finish a job before I eat dinner. If I'm going on something, I have to finish it. Caroline's like, just come and eat dinner. I'm like, no, I seriously got to finish this because just how my mind works. But all that to say that heaven has a standard as well as we're going to see this morning in Galatians. And unlike our complex standards that we put on things, heaven's standard is very simple. It's Jesus. It's faith in him alone, Christ alone, that's all it is. And sometimes we build all these things up like, man, I got to do all this for God, and I got to do these things to earn His love, and I got to do these things to meet His standard, or He will not love me, which is just not true. The standard of heaven is Jesus, that He has completely paid for our sin if we would just believe. It's truly remarkable if we really. Think about it. See, heaven's standard is this. Believe in the finished work of Christ through faith alone, in Christ alone, nothing else. 
And that's the gospel. And so often we just do all these things and we try to measure up and we try to reach the throne of God and we think, well, if I was just a better mom, then God would love me more. If I just did more for him, then he would maybe look upon me with more favor. And what we're going to see today is really justification is by faith and faith alone. Justification means you have been declared righteous and perfect in the eyes of God if the blood of Christ is washed over your sins. There is nothing greater. And so as we're going to see this morning, heaven's standard is very simple, Christ alone. God, I give you this time. I pray that you would move in this place and in this time, God, would you do the things that I cannot do? Would your word accomplish the purpose to which you sent it out for as you promised it will? And God, I just pray in this place this morning, if there's someone in this room that this day is very challenging and difficult for them, God, I pray that you would remind them that you're for them. I pray that you would show them your goodness, God, that you would show them that you are fighting for them, and you would show them that you love them. And God, for all the moms in this room, I just thank you for them, God. I know what it takes from just the, what I see Caroline doing, and it's amazing. And so, God, I just pray a blessing over them. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them where they need strength. And God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this, But when Cephas, who was Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Who opposed him? Paul opposed him. Why? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because here's the answer. Because he stood condemned. For before, before certain men from James, who we saw last week, Peter, James, and John were sent out to preach this gospel of grace to the Jews. But here is James. He was eating with Gentiles which he should have been because they'd been set free from the law. But when, they, when he came, he, or when various men came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party or the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. We know that Barnabas was like Paul's right-hand man in preaching the gospel. He was led astray. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? You may be wondering, what is happening here? Well, I'm about to tell you in the best of my ability. Now, here's what was happening is Paul and Barnabas were going to preach the gospel, the same gospel that Peter, James, and John were preaching. Peter, James, and John were preaching this gospel of grace to the Jews because Christ had fulfilled the law on the cross. Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which was non-Jews. So if you're not a Jew in this room this morning, you are a Gentile. And here's what happened is prior to Christ, the Jews had to abide to all these laws of the covenant. So, for instance, they could not eat pork. They could not eat food sacrificed to idols. They could not eat meat that had any kind of blood coming out of it, to which I say, man, poor them, because if a steak's not medium rare, it's not a steak, right? <laughs> Amen? Yeah, see, some of you guys agree. But here's the deal. If the Jews could not have anything like that, so they would not eat with Gentiles, because it wasn't like walking through McDonald's and being like, oh, I'm just going to grab a burger and hang out with my peeps. No, the Jews, when they had a meal, it was very intentional for the purpose of, like, glorifying God. And so what would happen is Jews couldn't eat with Gentiles because Gentiles could eat what Jews could not. So how do you serve a meal? I don't know. You don't. 
It's no wonder that Gentiles were referred to as dogs in this culture. Why were they dogs? Because they could eat anything. (laughs) Right? Amazing. They could eat medium rare steaks. And what happened was Peter, James, and John went and began to eat with Gentiles. And they're like, dang, I never knew food could be so good. I never knew meat could be so good. You guys actually can eat medium rare. I got to cook them like a brick and I can't even get my knife through them because there can be no blood. And they began to taste what this freedom of the gospel gave them, that they were no longer bound to the law, but they were free in the grace of Christ. But what happened? Religious leaders from the Jewish party came in, and then Peter, James, and John, and even Barnabas looked and were like, oh no, that guy, he's a leader. So they began to wander away and be like, ah, I never ate with Gentiles. I never had anything to do with them. And, they, and Paul comes in, he's like, you hypocrites, just eat with Gentiles. You've been set free from the law. You're still living in bondage. So really, Paul is calling them out and saying, listen, you have been set free, so live like a free person. You're no longer bound to the law. You are bound. You are free in the grace of Christ. Eat with Gentiles. Enjoy it because the law no longer binds you. Christ has fulfilled it. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth. Paul says, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a big but. That's a big three-letter word. So we have also believed in Jesus in order that in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Why? Because works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, let us not forget, I'm going to camp on this for one second so don't let your eyes glaze over because it's very important Paul in this book we can see many times where he is writing to Jews those bound by the law but he is also preaching to Gentiles so I want you to see this because it's very important in these verses Paul is saying, though we Jews are not like Gentile sinners who did not have the law, because of Christ now, Jews, you are no longer under the law. You may not know this, or you may, or you never thought about it, but listen to this closely. Did you know that Gentiles were not given the law and they were never bound to the law? Sometimes in the church, we read scripture like, oh, well, the reason Christ is so important is because we are all bound to the law, yet Christ set us free, and so we are no longer bound. That's not true. The law was given to the Jews only, not the Gentiles. But you know what's amazing about that? The whole reason that we Gentiles could be saved was because of Israel's rebellion. We see it in scripture that because Israel wandered from the law and they could not measure up to the standard of God, he chose to save the world and Gentiles because of their rebellion. A.K.A. He basically said, all right, my chosen people, which the Jews were, because you have failed, now I will save the Gentiles in the entire world. You doubt me? Romans 2, 14 through 16 says this. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law, or basically this knowledge that we cannot measure up to God's standards. See, Gentiles can look at the law and look at God's perfection and say, I can't measure up to perfection, so I need Jesus. 
But that doesn't mean that they were bound to the law. For it is written on their hearts, Paul says, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. I mean, this is crazy. And sometimes we just read it like, oh yeah, we're all bound to the law and now we're free. It's just not true. But because God used the hardening of Israel's hearts to draw Gentile sinners to himself, you and me, it explodes what his grace means. That he did not have to, but he chose to. If we look at Romans 11, 11 through 12, it says this. So I ask, did the Jews stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, don't miss this, through their trespass, or essentially their inability to measure up to God's standard and keep the law perfectly, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. That's crazy. God's like, basically, I saved all you people to make my own people jealous because they ran from me. I opened up a way for all to be saved. Verse 12, now if their trespass or essentially their inability to keep the law means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And he goes on to say this, for if their rejection, basically of Christ, means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? All that to say this, it is very, very clear in Scripture that there is a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It is very clear in Scripture that the Gentile, the church, has not replaced God's promise for the Jews. God has a very specific promise for his people, and he will fulfill it. There is this doctrine that floats around like, oh, well, the Jews were under the law, but because they failed it, Christ came and the church replaced the law, and they replaced the Jews, and now the promise is for the church and not the Jews. It's just not true. And Paul is making that very clear here. All that to say, before your eyes start glazing over more, right? I can see it. Some of you are like, oh gosh, why does this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because it magnifies the grace and the mercy of God for you and me. Truly, like, God did not have to save us, yet he chose to. He could have just stuck with his own people and said, well, these Jews, the nation of Israel, those are my people. All the rest of you, well, good luck. No, because Israel could not keep the law of God as we cannot keep his perfection. He said, guess what, Israel, because of your rejection of me, I still have promises for you one day, but I'm going to save the world because of your rejection. God chose to extend grace and mercy to us. Hear this, Hebrews 9.22. Indeed, under the law, almost anything is purified with blood. And then it says this, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Think about this. Israel was given a law to sacrifice an animal to become in right standing with God. What did the Gentiles have? Nothing. They could have believed in faith of this coming Messiah who was going to come and atone for sin because we could not reach his perfection. They could have believed in that, but why would you believe in a Messiah if you didn't even know his law? So God is saying, hey guys, I loved you so much 
that because, and that's what Paul is saying, he's distinguishing Jews and Gentiles. He said there is one thing that justifies Jews and Gentiles, justification by faith. God has declared you righteous by one thing, believing that Jesus is who he said he is. And apart from Christ, none can be saved, Jew or Gentile alike. It's in Christ alone, through faith alone, that saves anyone. It's amazing. It's exactly why they both needed Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. Paul is going to make this distinction. The reason I'm spending a little time on this is because it really makes a difference for the gospel as we move through the rest of Galatians. But this is exactly why they both Jews needed Jesus, because there wasn't enough blood to sacrifice to come into right standing with him. And Gentiles needed Jesus because there was no way to make a right sacrifice because God had not even given him the law. So Jesus fulfilled both. Truly, truly amazing. Sum it up by this. Open your eyes. Sum it up by this. God did not have to save us. He chose to save us. And that magnifies his grace and his love and his mercy. Because of his goodness, he chose to save any who would believe upon his name. It's crazy, crazy, amazing. I got to go. Verse 17, and you're like, thank you, because that's way, that's just too much. I'm like, well, yeah, it is. I could spend a whole lot more time, but I'm not going to bore you. See, here we go. It's chapter 7, verse 17. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. All this statement is saying is Paul is saying, if I bring back the law under the people that I just preached to tear down because Christ fulfilled fulfilled it, then I'm a transgressor. He's like, I basically serve to reverse the power of the gospel, saying that it's not just Jesus if I reinstate the law, but Jesus has fulfilled the law, so it is only Jesus. Verse 19, and I love this part, and you guys should too. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says this, this is an amazing promise. And the life I now live, not my past life, not the things I used to do, now live under Christ in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave himself me. 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All that to say, Jew and Gentile alike, we cannot measure up. We cannot earn the favor of God nor the love of God. We cannot earn the grace of God or the mercy of God. We are all separated from him, and in his love, he has chosen to come and redeem us, and it magnifies his grace. For if we could earn the love of God, there was no purpose for Christ to come and hang himself on a cross. That's the gospel, that we can't measure up, that we can't do it. There's nothing we can do to earn the love of God, but God in his Grace in his mercy sent his son to redeem all of mankind. Paul is essentially saying to yield on this point, to allow people to return back to the law, just brings them into bondage, and it's like trying to res- like reverse this plan of salvation. So Paul, as we saw last week, is going to fight vehemently against anything that says Jesus 
and. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus. And if you will believe upon him in faith, we can be redeemed. You're like, that's great, Luke. How about some application? Well, perfect. Your thought was perfect timing because that's where we're at. The first thing that I really think we can see in here, and we see it in the first four verses, is this. People can fall, so don't build your faith on them. People can fall, so don't build your faith on them. We see right here that Barnabas was a chief proclaimer of the gospel with Paul. Barnabas and Paul were both. Paul was a Jew, and he had walked out of the bondage of the law and into the freedom of Christ. But in a moment, when someone who had a little umph and a little pump in their chest, some religious leader walked in, all of a sudden Barnabas is like, oh, that, yeah, I'm going to kind of move back here into this little bondage thing. Forget about that medium rare state, because I don't know what these guys are going to say. They had built... See, what happened is they began to withdraw from the truth of the gospel. And if Barnabas can fall, this crazy proclaimer of the gospel, anyone can. Here's what happens in today's age. We build our faith on man and not God. Did you know that there's a temptation for you to put your faith in me just because I'm someone up here preaching from a platform? This platform makes me no different than any one of you in this room. All of us, if you're under grace, if you have been saved, have been called by God. I mean, I could step down from, I'm equal with you guys. This is, I'm not some, like, God to be put on a platform. Don't put your faith in me. But that's the temptation. In this culture, in this culture, we elevate pastors, we elevate athletes, we elevate our role models. And what happens when they fall? So do you. Why? Because it proves that you never had your faith in who really mattered. Christ, the king of glory, it was in some man or woman that you really fixated your attention on. Happened here. I'm telling you, if you put your faith in man, you will be disappointed every time. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. That's all we are. I'm going to say things and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to be like, look, what the heck, Luke? Why did you say that? And I may say it from the pulpit, and you'll be like, oh, man, he, I don't really know. Don't put your faith in me. I'm the messenger. Don't kill me. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to proclaim the message that was written here, but I'm going to make mistakes. We all are. That's who we are, but we elevate this people. See, I hear this a lot. Man, I used to go to church, but this pastor really offended me, and he really said something that hurt me, and so I no longer, I, it's just not my thing. Man, I saw this guy do this thing, and what a hypocrite. He, like, he jacked up everything, and it just wrecked my faith. Did you know that in the Gospels, Jesus said 13 times, follow me. You know how many said, times he said, follow my people? Eh, zero. But often we switch that, and we follow people, and we put our attention, our faith in people, and then when they fall, we wonder why all of a sudden our faith is wrong. Because we put our attention on people. Hear this. That when a leader fails, if it completely wrecks your faith, it proves one thing. That your faith was grounded in everything else but Christ himself. Just how it works. Because if your faith was really on this king of glory... If someone fell, I mean, it's a shame. It hurts people. Like, I'm not minimizing that. It causes deep pain. 
But if you just walk away from the faith because of one person that did something, your faith wasn't on this king of glory. Your faith wasn't on this God who came to set you free. It was on the person that you gave your attention to. You want an example? I've heard from many people, you need to listen to this podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I'm like, well, for one, I don't have 16 hours to listen to it. I just don't. And for two, I'm not really that interested in listening to a podcast that is just literally cutting a man out because he made some mistakes. Yes, it was horrible. He did some things that he should not have done, but shouldn't, couldn't we all? The only difference with him was he was on a massive platform. We're all human, and what has happened is, I hear it over and over, well, it's just shaped my view of the church. I mean, I was a part of that, and I can't be a part of anything even close to that anymore. Or he said that, and he did that, and I just walked away from the faith because, man, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, which it is. We're sinners. But please hear this. The problem with this was there was a whole lot of people, if we flip the script, that made Mark Driscoll their God. It's just true. It's just true. Because if you're saying that because of Mark Driscoll's fall, then all of this is just evil and I'm out, your faith was in the wrong person. It should have been in the person, Jesus Christ, who, come, who came to atone and set you free from your sins. All that to say is please, please, please don't put your faith in me or anyone else. Build it on the rock who is solid, as Jenna said, the rock king Jesus, because he will not let you down. He will never fail you. And he said, follow me, not follow my people. When we follow his people, yeah, we're going to be hurt. Yeah, we're going to be burned. When you follow Jesus, man, there is no one safer in the world to follow. This king who has come that if you would just believe in faith, he would atone and set you free from your sin. Crazy. Stunning. This is the God that we serve. The second thing is this. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, none other. If anyone ever says it's Jesus and, say, forget it, that's of the devil. Because it's not. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone. He is justified by him hanging on the cross. He has made me clean if I will profess him and believe him on what he has done. But this is hard, right? Because it's our nature to begin to think that we need to measure up to God's standards that we need to earn his favor, that we need to earn his love. Why? Because we earn everything in this culture. The more that I do, the more that I get. The harder I work, the more money I make. The more I invest in something, the more I return out of it. And it's wired into our cognitive nature to think that is true. And then it fuels into God. Well, if I would only be a better mom, then God would love me more. If I only wouldn't have made that mistake, then God would love me more or whatever it may be, but God's pleasure has nothing to do with what you can do for him. His pleasure has everything to do with what Jesus did for you. We just have to believe it. That's what it means to be justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you cannot earn nor measure up, that Christ has fulfilled everything when he hung on a cross to give you life and freedom. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. Nothing compares to that in all of creation. But when we begin striving to earn that which we cannot earn, 
We begin to try and earn that which Christ has earned for us. It's all about Jesus. And the church ought to be all about Jesus. I get so sick and tired of all this motivational speaking to get people to leave the doors so they feel a little lighter about themselves. It's like, that doesn't change anyone. I'm all about encouragement. And the gospel is the most encouraging thing ever. But the role of the church is not just to pump people's heads full of all this stuff. It's to pump it full of Jesus. And we should be pumping it full of Jesus every week. And I promise you, if you come to this church, it's like, man, he's so redundant about the gospel. I can't even, it's like every week it's the gospel. Well, yes, it is. And praise God you're here. And it will continue to be. So please keep coming. But I'm just telling you, the church is grounded on the gospel. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone to set you free. There is nothing else. Amen, right? There's nothing else. But our natural tendency is to treat salvation the way we treat everything else. Do enough and the outcome will be better. Or the harder I work, the more I'll earn. Or whatever it is, it's all counter gospel. I want to say this for all the moms in the room. Or maybe those who are longing to be a mom and not a mom yet. Or maybe those who are wife and can't be a mom. I just want to encourage you not to carry a burden today that is not yours to carry on Mother's Day. Because there's this temptation on Mother's Day, and for some it's great, and for some it's very hard to think, if I just did a little more, then my kids will be better. If I strive a little harder, then the outcome will be a little different. Or maybe if I would have been different, then my kids would have been different. I want you to hear this. Comparison is the thief of joy. Christ has come to give the fullness of joy. In his presence is the fullness of joy, Scripture says. But it can become this great comparison game, and it's like, man, I can be so stressed because my kids aren't like Sarah's, or my kids don't sleep like Bree's. I must have slept, like, sleep trained wrong or something, or maybe if I wouldn't have been an alcoholic when I was younger, maybe my kid wouldn't have been, or whatever it is, the list could go on and on and on, and we begin to play this comparison game of like, well, their kids look perfect, and my kids are doing this, and I promise you what's happened is these people are saying, man, their kids look perfect, and my kids look like this, right? But we begin to compare our stories with other, and I'm just telling you, it begins to lay a burden on you that Christ came to break and to free. He came to set us free. Or maybe it's everyone else is married with kids and I can't seem to find anyone. If God really cared, things would be different. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you this morning, because Christ hung on a cross, and when he said it is finished, it meant it was finished in full, and it counted for you if you will believe it. You don't have to measure up. That's not the gospel. You don't have to compare because Jesus has come to remove and carry this burden for you. I am not negating that there is some regrets and some pains. And because of some things that happen, the result of sin is other bad things happen. But you know what the deal is with regret? Regret is the shackle of bondage. Christ did not die for us to live in our past life and dwell upon all the things that we have done wrong. All our regrets, all our struggles, he did not die for that. You notice how Paul said in here, the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith. See, it could be, man, if I wouldn't have paired it different, my kid wouldn't be in a different place today. Or if I wouldn't have been an alcoholic, my kid wouldn't be either. Or if I wouldn't have been so hard on them, maybe they wouldn't be so hard on themselves. Whatever it is, 
I'm just telling you, I know that in this room, there may be some of that feeling this morning of, man, I really messed up, and because of that, my kids are flying off the rocker. Please hear this. The gospel has come to free of regret and look to the future. That is not minimizing pain. That's not minimizing struggle and some things that we need to deal with. But Jesus did not die for you to live in regret. He died to give you hope for a future that is in him and him alone. Like I said, if we read verse 20 again, it said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It didn't say the life that I used to live, I live in the flesh. It didn't say the life that I wished I would have lived. It said the life I now live, right now, because of what Christ has done for me, I live by faith in what? That he died and gave himself for me because he loved me. So I just want to encourage you on a day like today, don't let past regrets thwart what the gospel and Jesus have come to free you to. Because it can happen. And we live in that, and the enemy wants you to live in that. Man, just trust him. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, trust him. You can't change the past, but Jesus can change your future. It's the beauty of the gospel. That's all it is. It's amazing. That Christ measured up so you did not have to. That he was perfect so you did not have to be. Crazy. It's amazing. I can't think of anything greater. Think if Paul would have compared himself to others or think if Paul would have lived with regrets. Paul, according to scripture, was the greatest killer of Christians the world had ever seen. He murdered them. He went after them, he prisoned them, he jailed them. If anyone had any reason to live with regrets, it would have been Paul. But Paul can somehow write here in the life I now live. The old is gone, the new has come. Christ has redeemed my past and given me a new future. I don't have to dwell in regrets. I can live for what he's called me to be. Why? Because we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to measure up. It's all Jesus. Philippians 2, or 3, 12 through 16 says this. I think we have it for the screens. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, because one day we will be. The crazy thing about justification is that God declares us perfect, declares us righteous because of the blood of Jesus that has washed over your sins. But Paul is saying, I'm not there yet, but what I do is I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Don't miss that. If you are in Christ, he has made you his own in the fullness of who he is. Then he says this, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way which don't miss that either. Paul is saying, like, don't just write this off. Like, if you're in Christ, if the mature is those who really understand the gospel and what Jesus has done, don't write it off that, like, you just live in your past. Like, believe it. He says, believe this and think this way. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. This is, this is crazy to me. 
This is the gospel. Paul is saying, even if you do think you need to live in your past, you need to revert to that and live under the bondage of sin, God will reveal it to you anyways the longer you walk with him. Because he's good, because he pursues his people. He's after you. He's after your heart. He's after who you are. He wants all of you. And this verse right here tells me that he doesn't give up. That he will reveal it. That he has come to bring you from bondage and give you the fullness of life. Regret is bondage. Future is freedom. And Paul is saying, believe it. Anyone who's mature, believe it. Why? Because here's the deal. Your salvation is not based on measuring up, but based on the fact that Christ measured up on your behalf. It's not based upon all the things you did right, but on the fact that Christ declared you righteous. And it's not negated by all the things you did wrong, but credited to you for what Christ has accomplished. That's justification by faith. All you have to do is believe. Did you know that the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith? Impossible. It's a pretty big word. There's a lot of things that are impossible for me. Nothing for God, but many for me. And God says it's impossible to please me without faith. So do you know what that tells me? There's a whole lot of things in here that a whole lot of people read, and they're like, man, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Therefore, it's not really for me. And if I don't have all the answers, then I can't be saved. It's just not true. Do you know the Bible also says the gospel is so simple that even a child can understand? What does a child do? Believes in faith of who Jesus is, and that's what saves It's not knowing a whole bunch of things about God. It's not memorizing all these verses. It's believing that when Jesus hung on a cross, that it counted for you if you will believe in faith that it is true. And then what? You will be justified and made perfect. What's the fruit of justification? Forgiveness of all your sins. Amazing. There's seriously nothing greater under heaven than that. That God loved us so much that he used his own people's rebellion, his chosen people, to come and save the world and save the Gentiles so that all might be redeemed in him for his glory. If that doesn't explain and magnify the love and grace of God, I don't know what does. The fact that God did not have to, he could have just chosen to save his own people. But no, he said, I, I, I can't bear that because my heart is for all people that all would come to repentance. So because of your rebellion, I'm going to save the rest of the world. Thank you, Israel. It's crazy. It magnifies the grace of God. See, put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, for only he can make you whole. Don't live under past regrets. Live in his future hope. Christ has made you his own. There is nothing greater in all of creation. For the sake of time, as we wrap up, I'm not going to read it, but... As you guys know, if you've read through Ephesians chapter 2, you know there's a whole lot about like this old life and new life thing. And if you don't know a lot about it, that's fine. You can look it up later. But I'm going to explain it to you a little bit. Is Basically what it's saying is even when we were dead in our sin, even when we could not measure up, even when we were running from God at the speed of light, when we had just been made the biggest mistake of our life, Maybe when we had rejected him and mocked him. Maybe when we gave him the middle finger and said, I'm done with you, God. When the last thing we deserved was the love of God, enter Jesus. Enter grace. Enter mercy. There's a 
big phrase in there that says, all of that, but God, being rich in mercy. He extended grace. He gave us what we did not deserve, life in himself, if only we would believe. And that's the power of the gospel. That's what it means to be justified by faith and faith alone. Just believe. I don't know where you're at in this room this morning, but I know one thing. There is much hurt. There is much pain. There is much struggle. For some of you, it's an amazing day, and praise God for that. That, I love that. But for some of you, it's not. And I want you to hear this. The playing field is equal at the foot of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're at the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. God pursues you the same. He's faithful the same. His word says that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. It's his character. It's nature. He can be none other than faithful. So I don't know where you're at, but I want you to hear this this morning. If you're struggling... Christ did not die to take away all the struggles and all the pains and all the things that are just hard. While he can remove some of that, we may not see that this side of heaven. What he died to do is bring you from death to life. What he died to do was and rose from the grave was so that one day all the pain and all the suffering and all the struggle would be gone and we would be in the presence of the God of heaven just in awe of who he is. But the only way to get to heaven is to believe on the finished work of Christ that you would be justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. You cannot earn it. You did not deserve it. None of us did. But believe upon the name of Jesus and all will be made new. And you're like, well, that's great, Luke. That doesn't help me right now. And I'll just say this. It may not help your circumstance right now, but it'll help your heart right now. It'll help your soul right now. And it'll give you a hope that you did not have on your own. It may not change your circumstance, but it'll change your future. It might change a mistake that you made, but it'll change the way you move forward. And healing and redemption can begin to happen as you rest in the shadow of the wings of a great and mighty king. So on this Mother's Day, if you're struggling and in just hurting, I want you to know that there is hope. His name is Jesus, that one day all will be made new. Even if it's not on this planet, one day all will be made new. Why? Because of the shedding of the blood of Jesus. His blood fulfilled the requirements of the law for the Jews. And by fulfilling the requirements of the laws for the Jews, he also grafted in us, the Gentiles, into this promise of redemption. Redemption story. It's all about Jesus. And how do you enter in? By believing that Jesus is who he said he is, and you cannot earn it, nor did you deserve it, but Jesus did it all. That's the beauty of the gospel. So the question is this morning, will you come to him, if Jenna wants to come up? Will you come to him and just say, God, I'm, in, I'm hurting. Will you just come and fill me? Or maybe, God, I don't even, I, it's the greatest day of my life. Would you keep me humble, God? Would you keep me dependent? Because here's the struggle, really. When we're in deep pain and hurt, the tendency is to lean a little more into God sometimes, although sometimes we run. The problem with being on the highs of highs is we forget that we're so dependent upon him that we actually begin to just neglect him. And God will use circumstances in our life to remind us that it's all about him to bring us back. 
So neither one is actually in a better position because if you're in the greatest position of your life, your tendency is to run from God and think that you can do it all on your own. If you're in the lowest position, you're exactly where you need to be because it keeps you running to the feet of Jesus and bowing at the foot of the cross and saying, oh God, would you come and help me because I can't help myself. Believe, I just believe that you are who you said you are, God. I give everything to you. Would you help me? Would you save me? Would you redeem me? If you're in this room and you are far from God, I want you to know the Bible says you're an enemy of God, but you can become a friend of God in a moment if you would believe in faith that when Jesus hung on the cross and walked out of the grave, it counted for you. That your sin could be atoned for, for as far as the east is from the west, that you could be made brand new. And it happens by saying, God, I don't know how it all worked, but I know that you needed to go to the cross because I was separated from you. I was nothing in me that wanted to pursue you. Because of that, I could not be in your presence. Sin had separated. But I believe that because you hung on the cross and rose from the grave, it counted for me. And in a moment, if you believe that, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Not much works in that. Other than Jesus, save me, for I need you. You're all I have. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are a good God that pursues your people. And God, I pray in this room right now for a heart that is hurting. Would you tenderly restore, God? Would you come alongside and remind them of your faithfulness? I pray for a heart in this room that is on the highest of highs. God, that you would remind them that you are all that they need and you are all that they have. Because the tendency of being on the mountaintop is... We forget the one who made the mountain. So God, I just pray in this room, God, that you would do something special. That you would do what only you can do, what my my words cannot, only what your spirit can do. And would you show us, God, that the beauty of the gospel is we don't have to measure up because you did. We don't have to earn our way because Jesus earned it. Because he paid a debt he did not owe, because we owed a debt we could not pay, and we are justified or declared righteous, clean, and perfect by the God of heaven if we would just believe that it is true. So God, do a deep work in this place. We love you, God. We thank you for dying on our behalf and raising from the grave to give us life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.